Hello, and welcome to the Marketing Experiments Web Clinic Audio Replay Podcast. Marketing Experiments is an internet marketing research laboratory. The web clinic you are about to hear was broadcast live to an international audience of marketing professionals. Sign up to be invited to future web clinics, as well as gain access to all of our online marketing research at marketingexperiments.com. We're going to be looking at the top five marketing discoveries of 2013. Now, this is an interesting clinic. This is one of my favorite clinics of the year. We do this at the end of each year. Uh, it's a special extended edition clinic. Uh, normally, our clinics are 35 minutes. This is 60 minutes. Uh, we did it 60 minutes because we're going to need all 60 minutes of it. Uh, we're going to be distilling over 50,000 hours of research, basically an entire year of research. We're going to be distilling it into the top five discoveries. If you've been attending our clinics, which I hope most of you have been, uh, you know that every, every, uh, every other week we like to publish the most recent discoveries from our lab, marketing experiments. It's all about discovering what works. Uh, we want to get past this speculation. We want to get past uh, needing marketing intuition so much. We want to we take those claims that people are saying. We want to take the questions that you have and we want to test them. We want to actually know, does it work? And so we've been doing that for the past year, and we're going to walk you through some of the, uh, the top key discoveries, top key questions. Um, like I said earlier, uh, you, know, you can use your GoToWebinar feature to ask us questions. Uh, I can see them on the screen with me right now. I can see Twitter up. I also want you guys to use Twitter. We're going to be sending you links throughout the entire presentation today that uh, will be useful for you. So uh, if you want to see those coming through, uh, you can click and actually go to and see what we're talking about. You can get on Twitter, and that's exactly how we're going to be sending them to you. Also, we're going to be monitoring for questions, uh, for dialogue. So uh, feel free to jump in there and join the conversation. Um, I have an entire team standing by right now. It's more than usual. We've brought in a lot of specialists, a lot of experts into the, uh, to the studio today to kind of walk you through some of our top case studies. Some of you have seen throughout the year. Others may be new faces. Uh, but, uh, in fact, I wish I could describe to you what I see right now. I have, like, probably 20 eyeballs on me, it feels like, as I'm standing here. I've got a, a group over here of uh, speakers that are getting ready to come up and present case studies. I'm in a green, green room studio. I've got uh, the questions over here. I've got technical directors back there monitoring the cameras and everything like that. It's going to be a fun day, okay? It's going to be an interesting day. But uh, uh, i got Pamela Markey standing by. Pamela Markey is the Senior Director of Marketing at Mecca Labs. She's going to be talking to us about, uh, about brand today. It's going to be an interesting, uh, interesting topic, an interesting case study to show you. I've got Ben Phillip. You guys have seen Ben Phillip before. He's uh, part of our data sciences team, and he is um, very smart, very knowledgeable. He's going to be walking through some tests uh, with us today. John Powell, you guys know John Powell. You see him here all the time. He, uh, he is in, in the works there with the research. Uh, he's, he sees all the tests coming through. He's, uh, he's often on these webinars presenting to you himself. So he's going to walk us through an interesting test, one of his favorite tests. And then Adam Lapp, new voice, uh, maybe from the past, blast from the past. You've seen Adam Lapp here before. Uh, he's going to be coming in and walking through, uh, walking through a study on usability with you today. So we have, we have a jam-packed webinar. So let me just forewarn you here for a moment. Like I said, we're going to be, so you can see on the screen, we, we've, we've, done, we've run a lot of tests. We're going to be walking through and trying to distill them for you. Let me just give you this warning. 
it's going to be it's going to be full. You're going to get a lot of information coming at you today. So brace yourself, ready to take notes. Uh, like I said, uh, don't don't feel too much pressure to write everything down on the slides. All these slides are going to be made available to you. Uh, also, during the course of presenting different case studies, there's going to be links there for you to click through and read deeper into those. So just want to give you that forewarning, kind of give you those tips. And uh, without further ado, we're going to walk through five discoveries. You guys ready? Excellent. Excellent. All right. Discovery number one. Interesting discovery here. I'm going to present this one. There are five consistent factors that impact customer response to email timing. This is an interesting uh, discovery we've made this year. Uh, One of the top questions we get, a very common question we get uh, as it relates to email is, when should you send an email? What's the appropriate, I mean, I know how to write an email. I've taken courses on writing emails, but when's the right time to send an email? So we're, we're testing that. We've tested across a billion emails. Uh, and so uh, what I want to do is present to you one, one experiment that we've done uh, in which we've tested timing. And so here's the background. Some of you may have seen this. This is good. A large financial institution offering financial services required an application to consumers. And the goal was to try to uh, increase the number of applications. And ultimately, this was an email test. It was an email test between times. And if you look at this diagram on the screen right here, we had 14 different email sends during the week of the test. Now, the the customer wasn't being hit with 14 different emails. We had split this uh, 14 different ways. We had sent an email on Monday in the morning and in the afternoon. Tuesday in the morning and in the afternoon. And we split it that way all the way through the entire week. And we're asking key questions. We're watching the results of these emails. The first question we wanted to know, and the way we designed this test, was which time of day will perform the best, the morning or the afternoon? You ever wonder, like, when should you send an email? Is it better to get it out early in the morning so that when they get to the office they see it? Or is it better to, to send it to them when they're sitting in the office right then and there and read it then? So that was one of the questions we tested. And here's the answer we got for this group. Interestingly enough, there was a 13.5% increase in click-through on our emails when we sent them in the afternoon. Now, before you guys go away and start sending all your emails in the afternoon, let me, let me get through this test because this isn't the only email timing test we've run. Okay? But for this group, the afternoon worked better. Here's another, kind of the other slice. Which day of the week performed better? Let me ask you, audience. Let me know that you're out there. We've got hundreds of marketers on the line right now. Look at these days. Which of the days that you see on the screen right now do you think will perform the best? I see Wednesday, Monday, Tuesday, Sunday, Tuesday, Friday. I see it. I wish I could find a pattern here, but it looks like it's all over the place. What if I told you that it actually, the results of your email could depend on when you send them? Because for this group, if you look at the chart right here, it's not crazy difference, but it's a 23.2% difference when we sent the email on Sunday over Tuesday. So if you said, you know, you read a best practice online somewhere saying send your emails on Tuesday, for this group, they would have been wrong. That would have been hurting conversion. So the question is, when should you see, send your email? Well, for this group, we had you know, speculated, why, why was Sunday so effective? Well, here's the reason why. Perhaps there are less distractions on Sunday. The advent of mobile attaches recipients to email 24-7. 
And the personal nature of the financial product causes a higher click-through outside of work. Now, I want you, I want you to get this for a moment. So we're saying here, it's, it's, the, it's the purchasing patterns, it's the, it's the profile of the customer that are, that's impacting when the success rate of the email is greatest. So, what do you see this? so, so here's, the, here's the main key principle I want you to see here. And this is, this is kind of a letdown answer, I will tell you that. So, you know, what, you know, when people ask us, when should I send an email? They're looking for a specific day, a specific time. But what we've seen in our testing is that there is no one specific time, one specific day to uh, send an email. I mean, I, I remember running a test uh, where we actually, uh, as a frequency test, and we were, we were testing to see uh, how frequent should we send an email? How many times should we send an email? It was a crazy test in which we went from a span of, potentially just sending once every month to sending once every day. An email to the customer, hitting them once every day versus one uh, once every month. And we hit like time periods all in the middle of there. So once every week, once every two days, once every 15 days. And believe it or not, for that group, uh, for them, an email sent to the customer once every day actually outperformed. It sounds, sounds crazy. For this group, that wouldn't work, but for that group, it did. And the point I'm trying to make here, there's not one size that fits all. There's not one size that fits all for email. However, so that may be a letdown, but however, there are key principles. There are fundamental things that we've learned from our testing this past year that would indicate, okay, so for your situation, how can you figure out what's optimal for you? Obviously, you have to test, but there are some cognitive patterns. There are some transferable principles that apply to you. And one of the things we found out is there are five factors. So here's a discovery. Here's the, here's the big discovery from this past year. There are five factors from campaign to campaign that will impact your customer's purchase cycle. And here they are. First is the decision cycle itself. How often a decision is actually required. Next is utility. How useful the email is to the recipient. The next one is relevance. How relevant is the email to externally and internally? The nature of the product impacts it and expectations. Impact. Now, I, part of me right now wants to spend time just unpacking all these things. You may be having questions around, what, you know, what's the difference between utility and the nature of the product? What's the difference between relevance and decision cycle? Guys, those are good questions. I, I can't unpack them all for you. I want to lay them out for you as, as a factor. And I want to give you that link at the bottom that you can see, you can, I mean, for this one in particular, if you want to go and, and learn deeper into what we mean by decision cycle, utility, relevance, there's the link for you right there. We will, we will tweet it using uh, Twitter. Um, but you can also just type that link into your, uh, into your URL, to your browser, and go straight to the clinic. Video replay, you can watch it over and over again and see the different things. But here, here's, here's the deal. Here's the discovery. Five consistent factors. There is no one-size-fits-all for email. All right? So stop, you know, that if the question is, on your mind, if it's, Hey, when should I test the email? The answer from us is going to be there is no one size fits all, but it will be impacted by these five things. And if you can know the decision cycle for your customer, then you can, you can really pinpoint. That's really what makes the difference between whether you should send it out once every month or once every day. The relevance, the, 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 the nature of the product, all those things impact when you should send an email. So that's our first discovery. If you want to learn more about there, you've got the link there. I want to move to the second discovery. Go ahead and come up, Pamela. Hello, everyone. This is Pamela, Pamela Markey. Again, she's, uh, uh, she's, in, she's ingrained in the brand and the marketing here mm -hmm. at MechLabs. Uh, but here's the discovery we made. This is interesting. It's around brand. Brand does not make a promise. It creates an expectation. 
Yeah. I mean, one of the hot topics today is brand. A lot of questions we get around brand. So, uh, you know, when you hear hot topics, you hear buzzwords like that, one of the questions we ask here is, does brand really even matter? I mean, I mean, is it just a hot thing out there? Does it really matter? Does it, has it crossed over to the digital world as, you know, as, as big as it was uh, in the, kind of the traditional marketing model? So uh, we have an interesting case study. I want to get Pamela to walk through it with you. Uh, it's tied to a very big brand. So yep, take it away, Pamela. Absolutely. So I've often said it's pretty controversial. It's been studied, written about. I mean, you start Googling or looking at Amazon, there's every thought about branding. Um, the promise, I want to say, is more like a claim, like any other marketing claim. So you need to be careful about brand promises. It's what you people expect. So we wanted to set up um, our approach to experimentation around this and apply what we've learned about value proposition to understand the impact of brand to conversion. So we're going to get into this case study. Um, the brand is Boston Globe, which is a massive brand, um, huge uh, heritage, 141 years old. So obviously a major print newspaper source in the United States yes. in Boston. And the goal here is it's home delivery subscriptions. We're trying to increase the number of those through a subscription path. So which offer page will result in the highest subscription rate and obviously through a B split test. So really the experimentation here and the Boston Globe team, they're a great research partner, uh, Peter Doucette, who's spoken at our events in the past, is there. Really using experimentation to challenge their print media model, which is you know pretty revolutionary. And they've actually been able to grow that space. So what's the impact of brand is what we wanted to understand here. So this is the control. So the goal of the original page was obviously, like I said, to get somebody to subscribe. And you can see there, you know, put in your zip code to make sure you're in the subscription area. And we'd actually uh, improved this page before, so including some visuals there that represent home delivery. Um, but if you look at the frame of the page, it really doesn't speak to Boston Globe at all. It was did yeah, very I'm, little. I'm looking at the page right now, and I'm trying to find where is Boston Globe mentioned on the page. Yeah, really, other than the little logo in the little print um, actual photo, you really don't see it. It's subscriber. There's a little tiny logo up in the top right corner, but this was just their standard CMS system. So, you know, take a look at this and think about how you'd want to improve that. I think you can probably deduce kind of what our approach was. So that was just the offer page, which then went through and, and was repeated, the unbranded template, through the entire conversion process. So you can see there's actually four steps, you know, a typical subscription where you're entering your, your address and your payments and that sort of thing. So as we, if you've attended a web clinic before, you know this isn't just a subscription path. This is a thought sequence. Yes. So there's a lot of micro yeses here we're asking them to get through and really not enforcing it with one of our biggest um, assets here, which is the brand, the Boston Globe, which stands for things like quality journalism. You know, they're quick to break, a lot of great news. Um, so, you know, as marketers, we see these pages over and over again. We don't realize, gosh, let's take a step back and see what else we can add to really weight that value side of the, of the fulcrum. So, as I mentioned, pretty clear what we wanted to do here was see what we could do to tip the scales in our favor. So we obviously put in the Boston Globe logo there. It steadily supports the value proposition, which really... There's not, there's not much change on this page except bringing that logo in there. That's it. And we wanted to keep it that way because that's what we wanted to understand was what's the impact of this logo. Good. And like we said, consistently continue that through that entire thought sequence, through all those steps, and really just support that message every step of the way. So you can see that it compare the two visuals. So mm -hmm. we have the subscriber, which is... Just like I say, a generic thing. It's probably some systems internally. I don't even actually know what that was. And then the Boston Globe, storied, historic, quality, all those things. So we did that. We 
found the discovery was it actually increased subscribers by 40%. I just put in the, the Boston Globe logo in there, increased subscribers by 40%. And that's home delivery subscribers. This is not a growing market by any means. Like they're really pushing these things uphill. So by just doing that one small change, we found, yeah, by emphasizing this well-known brand, which yeah. not all of us admittedly have the luxury of that kind of heritage and that kind of strength, mm -hmm. they did increase it by a huge percent. So, so you know, to the question, does brand matter? Um, obviously, at least in the, the Boston Globe Center, it did matter. And, mm -hmm. you know, having that kind of uh, brand on the page actually just by doing that had enough power to drive 40% more people to subscribe. So my question to you, Pamela, is this. So uh, from, our, from that test and other tests we've done, what, why, does, why does brand matter? Really what we found is brand is really the aggregate experience of the value proposition, which I know, Austin, you've spoken a lot on value prop. If you've been on a web clinic before, you've definitely heard this kind of language before. You know, brand, it's not a logo. It's not a spokesperson. These things can serve to represent your brand and reinforce these messages that your value prop should deliver on. Um, and big brands like Boston Globe, like, you know, you say brand, people start thinking about Apple and Nike and Coke. Um, they help build up the equity. And a lot of these big brands can actually get away with not great pages and not great emails because they can kind of coast on that. Um, so we all don't have the luxury of equity. So think about your brand and how you can apply it. Um, and, to really make it go further. And this is so, you know, again, before you walk away and go, okay, I'm going to put my brand on my webpage and I'm going to get a 40% increase in conversion. The thing is, it all depends on, number one, your value proposition and how well your brand is carrying that value proposition mm -hmm. in mind of the customer. So uh, it, it may not be a 40% for you. It may be 100% for you, depending on how strong your brand is, or it may be less than that if your brand isn't doesn't carry the weight of that value proposition, the aggregate experience of it. So. Yeah, and like we talked about, um, you know, you're using it to emphasize your own goals. Um, these are just some key points from that. And again, like you mentioned, oh my God, the way you can see the mm -hmm. link there. Um, marketingexperiments.com slash does brand matter. We really, as you said, unpack this a lot yes. more in that. Um, but what it comes down to, we hear a lot about brand promise. But those, again, are just claims. Like what gives a marketer's brand promise stronger than another's? Um, it's an expectation that you're, you're setting up. So you need to deliver on your value proposition every time to build that expectation. And it gives brands like the Boston Globe and others. Um, one thing that came to my mind when I looked at this was, um, that expectation you create can carry through even if you create brand extensions. So I always love to see really strong brands, you know, do an extension that is something you maybe not thought of before but makes sense, such as uh, Tide opened a chain of dry cleaning uh, locations, which makes complete sense. Everything about Tide, from yes. the brand to the smell to the experience, delivers quality. Another one is the Law & Order series. You have a certain expectation of what you'll get when you turn on a Law & Order show expand the series and you know, that brand promise is actually really an expectation. So, Excellent, Pamela. This is really good. And like Pamela was saying, uh, we, I mean, obviously we can't, we could spend an entire, uh, we could spend an entire webinar talking about brand. In fact, we did. And so there's a, there's a link there you can go to and you can watch the entire, I mean, right now it's free. I'm not trying to sell anything. Um, you can go there and watch more about it. But the, the big, the big takeaway here is uh, brand does matter. And ultimately it comes down to uh, helping your customers see your value proposition and brand can be a powerful vehicle for that. So, Pamela, thank you so much. Thank you. All right. All right, so that's discovery number two. Let me ask you a question. How are you guys doing out there? Are you guys liking this format? Uh, if you have questions, I would just encourage you to submit. If we have time at the end, we'll try to maybe pull some up and, and, and uh, we can dialogue a little bit about these things. Um, let me know how the pace is going. Are you guys are you enjoying this pace? Is it too fast? You need to slow down. Um, want us to go faster? Let us know. Help optimize us as we're presenting this material. 
Uh, I'm going to move to uh, number three, discovery number three. And here it is. And this is another topic that we often get asked about, the usability. Usability does not equal buyability, and all usability claims must be tested. I want to go ahead and invite Adam Lapp up to the, up to the stage. So Adam, there's a recent test, and we're testing usability all the time. And usability mm-hmm. is a confusing term in some sense in terms of what it means. But sure. um, what I want you to do is I want you to walk through this experiment that we did recently that was kind of tested different types of quote-unquote usability tactics. Absolutely. So we uh, were able to test with a, a large uh, cosmetics company located in Italy, and they actually have thousands of brick-and-mortar stores in Italy and Spain all throughout Europe. And so they're a well, well-known brand. And and so I, I do have to admit, they did send us some samples, and I got the pleasure <laughs> of using some orange blossoms. Your hair's looking awfully lotion. good today, too. Yeah. Yeah, so. so for them, uh, here's their category page, right? So uh, you click through, and um, you see for the body, and that's in Italian. And then there's lots of different types of cosmetics that you can buy. And so the control page has uh, a long list of links. And so what we wanted to do was test a, a lot of different types of tactics. Before you go into what we did, sure. I want to, you know, audience, I mean, you, if you've been attending this, these clinics, maybe you have some ideas. I, I want to know, looking at this page, let's go ahead and make sure it's up on the screen. Looking at this page, what would you do to make it more usable? From what you understand the term usability means, what are some tactics? What do you know? What do, are there some errors here on this page? What would you do to actually improve the performance? But before you see what we tried to do, I want to hear what you think that you might do. It says, other color link. Left is cluttered. Declutter, not red. Simplify page design. Too much getting on it. Well, that's really interesting. So uh, one, one, of the, one of the kind of top usability claims we hear out there is uh, less is more. Sure. Simplicity. Go with simplicity. Yeah. So um, let's go ahead and look. I think that was you know, part of our tactics in some of the treatments that we looked at. So uh, let's go ahead and move on to yeah. the treatment. But like you said, viability is the goal. And the goal is that a lot of different departments are going to have their own goals and objectives on the page. But the, the real goal is in the user's head. The real goal Excellent. is Excellent. the user finding what they want as quickly and as easily as possible. So what we wanted to do was test several different usability tactics out there that you might commonly see, commonly see on other websites. So treatment one is a tactic that you might see on an automotive website like Edmunds or KBB. It's a configurator. You enter the criteria that you're looking for, and it takes you to the products that you're looking excellent, for. Excellent, excellent. Uh, treatment two is a um, more visual design that you might see at a clothing retailer like Macy's where you might see... You know, shirts, suits. This might be where Austin shops for his size 28 pants. Yes, absolutely. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a visual type of right. illustration to show you different types of categories. Uh, treatment three who is... Let, who let Adam laugh? Yeah. Who, ga- who gave him a microphone? That's what I want to talk Treatment three is something <laughs> that you might see uh, on a technology type of website. So, and we just got rid of the page altogether. Sure. We got rid of the category page, so you no longer can click through on the main navigation. Yep. You, you see a standard linear drop-down that you might see on a technology site Good. like AVG or Adobe, right? And then treatment four is a more artistic rendering, a lot more Java and interaction type of drop-down that you might see on a website like Clinique that's actually in the same vertical as uh, Bottega Verde. 
Good. So stop here. So you, you, Adam has kind of walked through these different treatments, five different treatments. And this is, and honestly, this gets to kind of why we do what we do in terms of you know, any of these choices could be easily sure. argued for. Sure. It all comes down to testing. So uh, let me ask you, audience, though, which of these do you think will generate the most response? Which one of these will be most helpful for the customer? I'm looking at it come through. I see treatment three, treatment three, treatment four, treatment two, treatment one, treatment three. I see a lot of treatment twos. All right. All right, Adam. Let's not keep the audience waiting. What are the results? The configurator. Interesting. The first one we saw. So what you might see on a lot of e-commerce sites, which uh, this company was, and what you might see on their their competitor sites, uh, the the, makeup sites and sites like uh, Body, Body Shop, didn't actually work better than the automotive type of category page. And so I think the, the main point is here is you have to test. You, you have to figure out not what the Usability 101, Usability for Dummies latest mm-hmm. blog website says. Yes. You have to figure out what works for your website. And so the key pr- principles are uh, focusing on some of those usability tactics that you might see renders your ability to figure out why somebody would say yes, why the person you are specifically talking to, mm-hmm. not the person you're reading, yes. might say yes to. Um, and it's focusing on why they would buy, what makes it easy as possible for them to buy uh, rather than usability. Yeah, and, and, the goal, and the goal ultimately here is, is not to, to help, I mean, it's not so much to get people to use the sure. site, it's to get people to say yes, yes. to the site. That's, that's our goal there. So the, you know, the ultimate is not usability, but rather buyability. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times uh, in the conversation, that gets lost. Yes. It gets lost. And usability when used, you know, when referenced is a valuable tool. That's what I was going to ask you. So we, yeah. should we throw usability out? Oh, no. Uh, you, you want your site to be usable. Absolutely. Uh, but that's a more shallow type of goal than viable. Um, because usable looks at the website only. It looks at the code. It looks at the design, the user Excellent. interface. It doesn't look at the visitor's mind. Good. So. Good. And then finally, like we saw with this particular case study. You and have the majority to test. of the audience got that one wrong. Sure. You have to test because what might work for your competitors doesn't work for and, your And what might, you, what might seem most useful to you mm-hmm. might not necessarily be what's most useful Absolutely. to the customer. So that's a very interesting test. Uh, Adam, thanks for coming sure. in and presenting it, man. And, and you can uh, find uh, this case study that I presented on MySpace, actually. We don't we're not going to Facebook, but... Yeah, thanks, Adam. Thank you so much, man. And uh, I'm going to expect some pants for you, uh, from, me, from you soon. So, All right, man. Uh, so, again, like we've been doing the rest of these, uh, marketingexperience.com slash usabilitymyth. In that clinic, uh, we talk about four, I think it's four, four or five different uh, claims or uh, rules of usability, and we test them all. We talk about navigation. We talk about uh, simplicity, all those things. So this was just one of those experiments from that. And the, the main point, the main discovery here is all usability claims must be tested. All right. So how are we doing? Okay. We're doing good on time. I'm going to go to discovery number four. This is an interesting, this is a very specific question. Uh, letter style emails are more effective than promotional emails. This is the question we often get from email marketers, right? Because you see different types of emails. And John, you're going to come up. So John Powell's going to come up and present a case study. But we see often different emails uh, popping up now. We've got HTML emails, heavily right. designed emails, and then we have these kind of text-based emails. And so one of the questions that we've seen is, you know, text-based emails were really powerful in the past, but are they right. as powerful 
now as they were then, or has the customer, has the market changed? Has they become more more used to kind of these uh, kind of magazine graphic heavy style emails? So we have an interesting test with that now. I'm going to turn it over to John Powell. Uh, John, walk us through this experiment, could you? Thank you. Um, so everybody, let's go ahead and take a look. It's a question I get asked a lot. Uh, exact Target conference, Blue Hornet. Uh, we get this asked a lot. How should I design an email? Is there a foolproof way or their principles that I could follow, give to my design team? Uh, this is an interesting case study. Uh, we've got it on the screen here. It's, we've got a large international media company focusing on increasing subscriptions, and then I am betting that 100% of you know who they are if I were to mention their names. Uh, so there's really no hiding that. Now, here's the thing. They're trying to increase the number of conversions, not clicks, not opens, but really the number of subscribers. And they are actually using uh, a list that they have homegrown for people that have registered on their site to view content. Um, there is somewhat of a limit to the amount of content, but as they get to that limit, uh, they can't read anymore, so they want to try and increase subscriptions. Which email would generate the highest conversion rate? Okay, Not just clicks and opens, but conversions. Let's take a look at the uh, control. So here... I'm going to call this a promotional style email, and the only reason I'm going to call it that is because it, it looks, when you do a meta-analysis of all the different experiments for email, uh, body copy and design, they all kind of follow this format. And I remember in, when I was in the magazine business making these, they had a very concise way they wanted me to do it. So uh, make sure that you've got some of the latest design principles, because we think people are expecting that. Um, heavy use of images and graphics, because people... They, they see better than they read. Um, multiple call to actions because we don't want to miss them up top, but at the same mm -hmm. time we want to get them mm -hmm. at the bottom. Anyone heard of these rules out there before? Uh, you know, and, and I hear them a lot, and I'm asked about them a lot, so I want to see what works. Our team had the same kind of question, so they composed a treatment. Now, there's something I want you to look at very carefully. We did not change the offer. This is the same kind of uh, focus uh, of the offer, like the, the discount and everything, the only thing that's significantly changed is the form. When I say form, I mean the structure of the email of itself. Uh, what do I mean? So the design is more like, it's not exactly like, it's more like a personal letter. Okay? The graphics have been tamed. There's, there's a few, but it's not overwhelming. One call to action button instead of like four. And so it's definitely reduced in its complexity. Uh, and yeah, it, and you, you it, can and argue that, yes. And it feels, it feels more personal. Right. It feels like a letter you might get from a friend in some sense. More is the key word yeah, because yeah. it's not just exactly. Mm -hmm. So uh, if good. you've been following us in the clinics in the past, if you've watched the previous clinic, um, or if, you've, uh, had, if, I, you know, if I met you at Exact Target or Blue Hornet, you're probably going to know the answer to this question. Which one won? Well, let's take a look. Wow. It was a treatment. It was the letter-style email. And this had a significant difference. If you take a look on the screen, 181% so, you know, conversion. That's actual subscriptions. That's good. That's good. I mean, I was expecting maybe like a 15 or 20% increase in conversion, but 181% The offer hasn't changed. Right. Just the form, as you were saying. Just the, just the way in which the email was constructed. So it leads us to question, why did this particular construction of an email win? And it's a question, again, that, that has been raised as part of looking at it. So let me ask you, the audience, a question. That's and good. Austin, you could tell me, too. Which would you recommend for somebody that, you know, a friend, in preparing for an interview, dressing for an interview? A suit 
or casual clothes? Audience? Come on, suit. Poor <laughs> personal suit. Suit, 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 suit. Okay. A lot of people liking suits here. But okay, well, uh, let me ask you one more question. If somebody was showing up to your front door, <laughs> which would you be less fearful about, a suit or casual clothes? Mm. Let me see. I, I'm really curious about that one. Casual. Casual, okay. Ca- why? Why? Okay, well, because they're not the IRS. Well, all right, they're not the IRS. So, <laughs> but this is what this is the point that I want to make. Um, if a clinical or uh, academic psychologist would look at this page, this email, or any email for that factor, and you were to ask them what's really going on, they would probably say that in the unconscious of the person, not the conscious mind, but in the unconscious, there are really two things going on. There is something that they would term categorization, and the second thing that they would term as framing. And these two kind of psychological principles actually, they're like mechanisms. They help somebody understand really what's going on at an unconscious level. I I almost wonder if it's kind of survivalist. And so when somebody is kind of looking at an email, they're judging it, right? Let's Let's take a closer look. Let's get the email on the screen so I can kind of make some kind of observations here. So the first thing that we have, we want to thank you. So first thing is the actual appearance. So you've got less images, more of an immediate appearance of a letter, maybe only one call to action. All of these things, while it's not an exact replica of personal replication, in an instant, they don't feel as apprehensive as they might in a traditional promotional email. That would be categorization. Um, They're associating it with something that they know and therefore judging it. Um, the second thing, framing. Look at the first two lines below the headline and subheadline. Hello, John. It didn't say that. Um, control. We want to thank you for being a valued reader. Mm. What that does is it turns what looks like a sales pitch into a gift. This is something for you. This is something that you should consider because this is something we believe you deserve. And, and it's conversational language, it seems like, too. That's right. So, and, here's, and here's the point is that we're dealing with people. An email message is not a monologue, it's dialogue. And people have real conscious and unconscious responses to the things that we are putting through the pixels on the screen. And we can't just assume that they're going to get it. So when you look at an email, when you design an email, what you need to do is you need to take those things into consideration. You need to understand what the immediate effect is and how that relates to how they relate to human beings. And then next thing, this is really important, is that you have to participate in the conversation. So uh, let me ask you a question. Austin, have you ever um, had one of those moments where you got really excited initially about something or maybe uh, you got an interview and they looked like they were sharp, ready to go, but then it was just a total letdown afterwards? Absolutely, absolutely. Right? You know, it reminds me of made-for-TV movies. I mean, think about it, right? They, they're so slick, right? They, they make the preview look just like a theatrical release. They even get the same announcer. And then finally at the end, um, premiering next week for the first time on ABC Family. I mean, it just it doesn't work for me. I, That's a I, good analogy. I really just, that, just personally, um, those really kill me. Um, but that's the whole point that I'm trying to make is you can't, you can't lead them unconsciously. They're going to wake up. They're going to wake up and then they're going to wonder, what is this really about? Um, and does this, is this really genuine? Which brings me back to the point, right? 
you've got to be able to really genuinely have something that they care about. Now, here's the thing. Consistently, between both emails, the offer is the same. But if you look at the copy of the email, I'm going to backstep, guys. If you look at the copy, this copy actually leads them down a path, a series of thoughts, in the sense that I'm more interested in you than me. I'm trying to provide you a gift. Uh, So it's empathetic. You're kind of putting yourself in the mindset of the customer and you're, 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 you're talking to them from what you know, you're anticipating they're wanting to hear, what, what, anticipating what, they, what they're actually looking for. Right. So when people ask me this question, what I typically respond with is this. Really access that empathy okay, for the customer or the person that you're reaching. Really take a close look at it. I'm sorry, guys. Um, and use that as a way to look at your email f- from two perspectives. A, is there anything unconsciously that is, well, a bias or something that's mm-hmm. working against me? Um, if it's not time for a promo, if it's not Black Friday, then are they really going to respond to my promo email? Okay. okay, and then the second thing is once they wake up, what, um, what do I, can, how can I genuinely lead them in a conversation, a dialogue that will help them conclude that, you know what, this is something that could really benefit me. Yes, there's a cost, but I, I'm interested, I want to know more. Good. I just want to add this to what you're saying, John. I think this is really important. I, I, I love this piece on empathy, and I remember when we, we did this webinar, and we, talk, we talked more about empathy um, on it, but you know, pe- a lot of times, and this is kind of related to what you're saying, a lot of times uh, marketers or business leaders ask us, hey, what do you look for right. in a marketer? Like when you're trying to hire a marketer, what do you look for? I mean, it's, it's, it, in fact, more than the suit, more than the casual right. clothes. Get past what, that. What, what, do you, what, do you, what do you truly look for? Right. And the one word answer that we always give, the one, the one skill set, the one kind of uh, talent that a marketer really needs to have is empathy. Right. The ability to kind of not only connect and understand the customer, but be able to right. talk to them in a way that's actually relatable and considering kind of what they want. Because so often, and, and this is, you know, this may be why uh, personal emails are still so effective. Right. Because it, it's, it's, uh, it's not us throwing things at them. It's not us hitting them with, oh, hey, look at our design. It's us coming to them and talking to them where they are. It's, it's empathetic. Right. That's, um, the, that's the nature. So, but uh, there you have it. You're going to design an email. Make sure that you tap into your empathy. Put yourself in their mind even just for five minutes and then look at the, theme, the kind of things. How are they going to judge this negatively? What can I do to mitigate that? And then finally, how can I truly connect with them? What's relevant? You know, what's interesting, attractive? Excellent. Excellent. Thank you, John. That was really Thank good, you. man. I appreciate, appreciate it. it. All right. So there you go. Discovery number four. We have one more discovery coming up with you. I want to tell you this too. At the very end, we're going to give you a bit of a preview of a test we have launched and I think you'll find very, very interesting. But we have one more discovery for you and here it is. It's related to copy and I cannot tell you how many questions we have related to copy. When we do trainings on copy, we get lots of people attending them. Uh, so copy is a hot topic. And so uh, we do a lot of copy testing here. But here's a point. Here's a discovery we made. It's a, it's, a, it's a tactical thing. Copy should establish the problem before presenting the solution. All right. I'm going to get Ben Philip to come up here. This is one of my favorite tests I think I've seen come in through this year. Um, but we're really going to test copy in a small piece of copy. We're going to be actually testing uh, adding, pro- adding, adding basically a connection to the problem before the solution. So Ben, walk, walk us through this experiment, kind of how we did that, what that looked like, and what we learned from it. All right, thanks, Austin. It's good to be here. Um, 
you know, even though you guys play a little joke on me and get the math guy up here to talk about coffee, um, <laughs> but uh, I'm going to do my best. We're trying to stretch it in here. Yeah, right? trying, to, trying to make me uh, get to new higher ground. There you huh? go, there you, you. go. <laughs> um, so the background of this is an auto repair product company. They have a single product that they sell. So every visitor to their site is very important, right? Um, we're trying to increase the number of purchases by changing the copy on the page that the visitor sees. We ran a standard A-B split multi-factor test here. And the research question was which landing page is going to generate the most purchases. So here's the control. You can see uh, they talk a little bit about the product here. They tell you what the product is, what it does for you, all these kinds of things. But they don't ever touch on why somebody would need the product. Who is this product and, and, for? And, and, and this test, um, it's neat because this page um, was actually a high-performing page. Right. I mean, a lot of these tests we're showing you, it's not like bad page against good page. I mean, this page had already been tested mm -hmm. multiple times, and this had been the winning page. Yeah, we have optimized this page before. Um, you can see some of the other things we, we recommend to people on these web clinics, third-party indicators, um, clear call A lot call of best action, practices here. A lot of best practices in place already. But we needed to make that extra gain, so we wanted to change the copy. So here's a little blown up a little bit. You can see, like I said, they're addressing the solution. They're telling you what the product does, but they're not really explaining who needs this product or why they need it. And they're, they're, doing a good, they're not doing a bad job of telling them the solution. Right. But the question we had was, have we actually connected to their problem? Exactly. So, excellent. So we developed this treatment. Uh, you can see here now, we have the same kind of bottom copy there explaining the solution to the problem, but now we've added in what the problem is. Does your car actually have a blown head gasket? These are the people that need to buy our product. We've identified what the problem is, we're reaching out to them, and now they know, I do have that problem. I do have a head gasket. Um, we also added a little bit into the bottom. You can see a little blown up shot here, where we actually talk about some of the symptoms of a blown head gasket. I'm not an auto repairman, and, at least not as good one as Austin here. And, yeah, and most but, uh, people aren't, right? Most right. people don't know. So <clears throat> you're experiencing white smoke come out of your car. So yeah. like, what might be causing that? And so you know, to that point, Ben, it looks like you have a lot of interesting questions here. Yeah, so we're actually asking them what's happening with your car. If any of these happen, maybe you need to try our product, right? That's good. So here's the two treatments side by side. And like I said, same as the bottom, but we've really identified that problem with the user. So the results. We actually got a 36% increase in purchases by adding that little bit of copy to the, to the actual page. Excellent. And one example I like to think about here is... We all like water. We all drink water. If I was walking down the street and you offered me a bottle of water and I didn't think I needed one, then I would just keep on walking past you, right? But if you say, hey, you look thirsty, you have a dry mouth, you, or whatever it might be, you look hot, then here's a bottle of water for you, then it's in my mind, oh, you're right, maybe I am thirsty, maybe I do need some water. So that's basically what we've done on this page. We still just, you have a problem, we notice what your problem is, we have the solution for you. Yes, good, good. Um, so uh, let's go through some of the key principles we talked about here for a moment. But this is, this is interesting to me. Uh, simply identifying the customer need isn't enough. And we talk about customer right. needs. But if your customer need is not translated into an actual want, then the customer doesn't care about their needs. Yeah, exactly. The customer only cares about their wants. And so um, you, know, you could be the best copywriter in the world, but if you're not actually... And you could be, you could be pitching a product really well. You can be talking about all its benefits, all its features, but if you're not actually connecting it to a relevant problem that they experience, then what we've seen from this test and many other tests is that 
it's not relevant. Yeah, you're intensifying the problem in their mind yeah. so that they now think they need that immediate solution to the problem. It's just like story. Yeah. I mean, think about it. You watch any movie out there right now, and, and, and one of the first things that happens, I mean, the first thing that happens before anything else happens is the, the protagonist has something wrong go in his life. He has a huge problem that he has to overcome. And guys, listen, writing story, writing play scripts, writing books, writing uh, movie scripts, it's the same thing and in many ways as a copy because we're all living through these stories. We all have these problems. We're on our page because we have a problem. And so if we can craft our copy in such a way that we can actually relate to them, connect to their problem, uh, we just find that actually has, even on high-performing pages, it can actually boost conversion. Yeah, I think it's a great place if you're if you if you've done the layout tests and you've done some of these other tests that we recommend and we talk about all the time, you know, like you said on the previous example with John, is getting the customer's mindset, you know, get into their problem mindset, Good. let them know, uh, create that importance and intensify that. Good. There's a couple things that we you know talk about on time to inspire that action, and you want your customer to actually. Uh, you know, transform the need into the one, yes. right? Yes. So the first one we always talk about relevance. Yes. You know, we have to make it a situational kind of thing. You have to you speak to them, connect to their situation, let them know that you know you understand their problem and that you have the solution to their problem, making it very relevant to and that, that person. And, and that's what that treatment did. I mean, it, yes. it raised specific relevant questions to car problems. Yeah. If you answered yes to the any of the questions that we asked you, then, then this you problem is for you. There it's it relevant. Is. It's relevant. Uh, the next one, importance. You have to increase the degree to which the you know it affects the recipient's livelihood. This is your car. We use our cars every day. We need to go to the grocery store, pick up the kids, get to work. Um, I put that third for a reason. Um, <laughs> but uh, we need to we need our cars. It, it affects our, everyone's livelihood. If you don't have your car. You can't get the things done. So elevating that importance to them is, is another key principle here. And, and I would say that, you know, depending on your product, the importance will vary. Yeah. Uh, and then even depending on your prospect, the importance will vary. Your goal as a marketer is to try to intensify the importance, connect to the importance yes. as much as possible. Right. Finally, urgency. Mm. Got to increase the urgency in people. You need this product immediately. Once you've increased the urgency, then it, you increase the motivation that we talk about all the time to get through the funnel steps and to get through some of those more friction parts of the checkout process. Um, you can increase urgency in lots of ways with your copy. You know, um, you know, don't don't waste a bunch of money getting this problem so, fixed up. Don't. Uh, so know. and some things happen a kind of a, a a natural urgency, like the car. Yeah. The car has a natural urgency because you need you need a solution. Now, sometimes you can instill artificial urgency. I mean, genuine artificial urgency. I mean, that's the whole point of sales and promotional periods. It, it gives them kind of a sense of urgency. You know, the most powerful kind is natural urgency. Yeah. Um, but, you know, like for right now, Christmas holiday season, there's a natural urgency uh, with getting products right now because you've got to get them in before the 25th. Right, exactly. Right? Or yeah. other, you know, other holidays. You know, you can change your offer to increase the urgency, not necessarily the urgency for the product, but the urgency to buy it now with incentives or other. Excellent. All great things to test. Um, we could dive and talk about this forever, but I yep. know we got to get back to these questions. Um, but Good. I do want to say marketingexperience.com slash missing copy. So, yeah, if you thank you, Ben, very much, man. If you, if you, uh, 
If you'd like to learn more about copy, we went so much more in depth on relevance, importance, and urgency. There's other clinics on copywriting you know, that we have there. But here, here's, the, here's the key discovery. Here's discovery number five. I think it's very interesting, um, and it's very practical. Something you can, you can go back and look at your copy right now and ask yourself, am I actually connecting to a problem? Yeah, I may have good copy, but is it actually connected to a problem that's relevant, that's important, and that's an urgent so that's it. Those are our top five discoveries. I'll be honest with you, it was hard to narrow it down. We had so many, but those are kind of, you know, we, we kind of considered the, the questions coming in from people, uh, the, kind of the, the attendance of these webinars to kind of pull these top five discoveries. Uh, and we have more coming. We, I know we have like 18 in the queue ready to kind of show you. We have more coming this next year that I'm very excited about. There's one uh, that we're going to be launching the first thing in January. I'm going to show you in a minute, but let me look. Do we, do we have any questions from the audience? Okay, cool, cool. Yeah, we have some interesting questions from the audience. I'm going to look here. Here's a question from Rob. And guys, stand by, because I, I think that this might be, uh, let's get, kind of get some other opinions here. But this is, this is honestly a question. Here's a question from Rob that we get often. And I think we even did a clinic on this, and it was one of the contenders for whether or not we show it in this, in this, uh, in this session. So it's a good question. Did you find an optimal content length or a ballpark range? For example, one paragraph, is that more optimal than two paragraphs? Three bullets, more optimal than five. So basically, he's asking the question, the difference between long copy or short copy. Is longer better? Is shorter better? And where is that sweet spot? So I'm going to go ahead and ask John Powell to come on up because I know John has done a lot of copy tests. In fact, uh, did you, were you, we had a clinic on long copy versus short copy. Paul, did we not? Right. I can't remember if I was on that one, but I definitely can relate to this question. I get this one a lot, especially in email, right? How long, you know, how long should my copy be? Well, if you were to ask me that question, and based on what I've seen, it really comes down to this. The greater the consequence or cost, often the more copy that you need. And I, this is the same kind of principle I use to judge things in life. If there's a greater cost or a greater perceived cost, like then I'm going to want more information. It also has something to do with where they're at in the decision process. So, for example, if they're just browsing, they're going to really respond well to longer copy. Um, and if you have somebody that is closer to that decision, they're going to want to respond to shorter, which brings up a question, how in the world do I do both at the same time? Yes. We have a clinic on that. Yep. Multiple customers. And, 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 and here's the, here's the law. It's one, another one of those letdown answers. Sorry, Rob. But the point is, is it, it, it depends. It depends on the kind of product you're offering. Like if it's a complicated product, as John was saying, it's going to require more copy. Uh, ultimately, you're trying to get, bring the customer to an understanding of the value proposition. Once you hit that, you don't want more copy than that. You don't want less to copy that. But that, that sweet spot is going to adjust. Now, we have certain rules, and that's what you can find in that, that clinic in terms of kind of help you get in the sweet spot, but ultimately you, you, you're going to have to kind of consider your product and consider where is the customer in the thought sequence uh, to get yeah. the ideal form of copy. But it's a great question, um, and, uh, and actually if we can, we'll go ahead and send out that, um, we'll send out that link in the replay right. of this. Uh, yeah. Okay, Good. so the link has been tweeted out to you. If you'd like more, uh, more information on long copy versus short copy, you can go to Lincoln. And this is the point I just plug right now. If you haven't been to the marketing experiments, dot com website um, for whatever reason uh, we have clinic like this after clinic like this for free 
up on, I think it's like $20 million worth of research for free right there at your fingertips. So I'd encourage you to go there. There's questions related to copy. There's questions related to content marketing. There's questions related to email. All the kind of different questions that you might have related to your job. You just go there and, and browse and check it out. So that's a good question. I'm going to take one more question. John, you just stay here with me for a moment. Um, oh, uh, this is an interesting question. Let me see here. Oh, yeah. And this is a question we get often. And this is... I'm just going to go ahead and, uh, and, and this Ben, this question would probably be good for you. Um, how long should you test treatments for? So this is kind of a, this is a testing question, a little bit different. And I know we did, I know we did, uh, come, come here, Ben. Thank you, John. Um, we actually did a clinic on this as well. Yes, we did. Uh, where we actually did this question and uh, some even more deeper questions related to testing. So uh, I know you could probably spend you know, an hour talking about the answer. But what would be your short answer to this question? How long should you test treatments? So we run all these tests, all these mm-hmm. are A-B tests. How long uh, did we run those treatments for and, and why? Well, every website has its own dynamics so as far as length of testing. How many people do you get coming to your website? How many of those people are converting? Another key principle to that is how different is your page actually going to perform? The bigger the lift, the shorter time you have to test. This is where you want to rely on something we use like our test protocol or some mm-hmm. other kind of method that can actually, before the test, you can put in your historic nature of your variables and actually predict how long it's going to take based on that information. Um, every test is different. I've seen tests that you know, could be ran in a, in a few days. I know um, at, back at the Optimization Summit, we had uh, the, the Obama campaign email people and you know they were cranking them out in, in two three hours. They had their answer. Because, and, and so here's the deal. Uh, and, and I don't think you said this, but I think it's uh, important. I'll just say it. you test until you get statistical validity, right? right? And to some sort of determine. So for instance, all our tests here, all the tests that we've shown you, all the results, it, it's it's we we have these results at like at least a 95 percent level of statistical confidence. And what Ben's talking about here is to get there. It depends on multiple factors. I mean, the Obamacare situation. You have so much traffic yeah. that you can get statistical validity yeah, A couple instantly. hundred million people getting an yeah. email at once. Or and if you have lower traffic, the, you know, the thing that you can try to shoot for is difference in response. So how right. much better is this page? So the better the page is, the quicker you get validity. Ultimately, the question is a deep question. Uh, it gets into statistical validity. We have an entire certification course on, uh, on testing and, and how long you should run a test and how you should design a test. So it's a good question. We get it often. Um, and, uh, and honestly, there's a webinar that we recently, as a roundtable discussion on A-B testing, dealing with that question and, and five other of the uh, you know, other most common questions we get. Yeah, it's a testing. great resource for people who are getting into testing or have any questions about the mathematics behind when to stop a test or how to run a test. Excellent. Excellent. Thank you, Ben. I appreciate it. Well, guys, we are almost out of time. I'm going to uh, show you just one more test. It's a test that we're going to be looking at in January. Before I do, I just want to say this. I want to plug the email summit. We had a couple email tests on here today. Uh, but if you haven't heard yet, we'll be in Las Vegas on the 17th to the 20th. And if you like tests like this, you like uh, stories of marketers overcoming challenges that you face uh, every day, and if, particularly if you're an email marketer, I would encourage you to, to attend this event. It's at Las Vegas. It's, it's going to be a great time. We have a lot of great content. Uh, I believe it's uh, three or four days. It'll be, it'll be good. So um, early bird savings there you can see on the screen. Um, Check it out. Uh, and now I want to talk to you about a case study that we're going to reveal in January. But this is an interesting test. Another common question we often get now, this is kind of a buzzword today, uh, 
responsive design. I'm not sure if you heard it or not, but we often get questions around, does responsive design work with mobile environments, with tablet environments, uh, responsive design? If you don't know what responsive design, I'll show you in a moment, but essentially it's the idea of, of, of customizing the HTML so that it adjusts based on the width of the pixels on the screen. So you can tell in the code, hey, if the, if the width of the screen is this wide, uh, then give it this design, show it this page. If it's this wide, show it this page. And so, you know, in, in fact, you've experienced on mobile, mobile devices where a page customized or adjusts uh, based on the screen. And so the question is, does that matter? Because, see, there's a lot of companies out there right now who are, who are, who are, are spending money, lots of money, to do responsive design. And so anytime we face like that, we, we, this is what we do at Marketing Experiments. It, is it worth the spend? Is it worth the money? So let me show you. We're working with a group. This is a recent test through our labs. Here's the original page. This is an unresponsive design. Many of you may have experienced a page like this on your mobile device. That's kind of frustrating. You've got to kind of shrink the page. You've got to scroll it. It's kind of challenging. So intuitively we think, okay, let's, let's create a responsive design to make it easier. And that's what we did as a treatment. You can see here the desktop responsive design and the mobile responsive design. The question is, does it matter? What do you guys think? Let me know. Which one do you guys think will win? Responsive design or unresponsive design? Responsive. 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 Is anyone going to say unresponsive? No, the entire, everyone at this point has said responsive uh, by a little. Responsive, so now you're getting into the... Okay, now someone has said unresponsive. Thank you, Steve. All right, so now we have a, uh, a sample size here with a, a mix of people, but the majority of you in, in, in intuition would say responsive design. So you want to know the results? Well, you're going to have to attend in January. January uh, 2014, this is going to be the first clinic we lead on. I wish I could... Uh, I, I mean, I, I want to tell you the results, um, but I, you're just going to have to, it's coming up. So uh, this is what we're going to get into next year. This is just one of many topics we're going to be covering, things like this. And, here, and here's what I want to do, okay? I want to ask you, do us a favor here for a moment. I know that you have questions. I know that you are making decisions about where budgets are going and how you're spending money on, on website redesigns. What are your questions? What do you want us to test in 2014? We want to hear from you. I mean, we're, we're excited to test. I mean, a lot of the tests we have here have come from ideas, even from our audience. So I want, I want, I want, I want to hear from you. You can use the, you can use the question and answer feedback. I, you know, there's going to be a survey coming up at the, uh, when we close the webinar. I'd encourage you to put, uh, put in, what, what, do you, what, do you, what would you like to see more about? What, would you, what question is pressing in your world right now? And so that's it for today. We are out of time. There are the five discoveries from 2013. It's been a fun year. It's been a great year. I want to thank everyone. Uh, I want to thank Pamela, Adam, John, Ben. Thank you guys for coming in the studio. Thank you, Paul. Thank you, uh, Luke and Tara, uh, all the AV team standing by, and everyone on the lines monitoring the Q&A. And uh, guys, this has been a great year. Appreciate it. Thanks for attending us. If you find these clinics valuable, uh, we just ask for one thing. Hey, these clinics are free free of charge. We're going to be constantly, for the rest of our life, we're going to be constantly just bringing to you the top discoveries and marketing completely free. The only thing we ask you to do is, if you find it valuable, share it with a friend. Share it with a friend. All right. Well, thank you very much for attending and we'll see you here back January 2014. 
Thank you for listening to this recording of a Marketing Experiments live web clinic. You can sign up to receive invites to future live web clinics, as well as receive access to $10 million worth of internet marketing research at marketingexperiments.com.